we are starting a series called A Messy Little Christmas. And how many of you agree that Christmas can be messy? I mean, it can be really messy. While we were in Arizona visiting our kids for Thanksgiving, I, I had to wrap some gifts that we were leaving there for our kids and our grandkids. And wrapping can be really messy. And tomorrow on my day off, Jill and I will pull all of the boxes of Christmas decorations down out of the attic and we'll put up the tree and then we'll try to figure out where to put all of that stuff that normally sits where the Christmas stuff is going to sit. You know what I mean? And it is going to be messy. But in a few weeks, my daughter and my son-in-law and our nearly perfect, beautiful granddaughter will arrive in Pittsburgh from Colorado to spend the holiday with us, and that's when our house will get really messy. Adding two adults and a four-year-old, almost five-year-old, to uh, our house will be messy, and we will love it. So I decided months ago that this Christmas, we would do a series called A Messy Little Christmas. And I really um, developed this message in 2008 when I was serving a different church. And I didn't get to bring this series to that church because, well, life got messy. And I wasn't at that church at Christmas time that year. And... Um, there is truth in that too, isn't there? For some, the biggest uh, stressor in your life isn't the physical mess that Christmas brings, but the other messes. Some are trying to figure out how to do Christmas this year in the midst of a messy divorce. Some are worried about the financial mess that Christmas always seems to create in your life. And uh, some are trying to arrange Christmas celebrations around the fact that you have some family members that aren't speaking to each other and don't want to be at the same Christmas event. And some are just trying to figure out how you're going to fit the Christmas events into an already messy schedule. Yes, Christmas can be really messy. And there are several definitions of messy. If you look in the dictionary, one would be, quote, characterized by dirty, uh, untidy, or a disordered condition, such as a messy room. Another would be embarrassing, difficult, or unpleasant, such as a messy family situation. A third would be characterized by moral or psychological confusion. Now, some of you are listening to those definitions and you're thinking that not only is Christmas messy, but your life is pretty messy right now. And if that's true of you, I'm really glad that you're here today because I want to tell you that all of those definitions described Mary and Joseph's life and the world around them on that first Christmas when Jesus was born. 
And so we want to spend the next few weeks between now and New Year's Day not getting discouraged by the messiness of our lives and our world, but seeing how God loved us so much to send Jesus right into our messy world to help us deal with uh, the messes of our life. So as we begin this series, let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, we just confess to you that at some place in some area of our life, things are pretty messy. And Father, we thank you that you loved us enough to send Jesus into our messy world. And Father, I pray that during this message and during this entire series, that you will just encourage us and comfort us that through your word you will give us wisdom on how to deal with the messes in our life and in our world. And Father, we will give you the glory through Jesus, your son. Amen. Well, you've probably already noticed today's message is about when politics get messy. Are you tired of politics yet? Yeah, so am I. You're wondering why we can't just forget about this past election and just focus on Christmas and focus on Jesus. Well, we're going to do that, but when I pulled up the titles that I had back in 2008, I had charted a message on messy politics, and the notes I made then seem to apply even more today. And you will see... Uh, several things that are uh, appropriate, I think. But when Jesus was born, the politics of his time were really messy. The politics were really messy. There were three different groups fighting over power and who would control what. Rome had conquered the area and they were occupying the land. And they were in primary control of the land, but, you know, they wanted it to appear that they were allowing local people to have some input in government. And so they had appointed a king over the people, thinking that this would please the people, thinking that the people would feel like they had some independent control. But the king that they appointed, the people didn't have much respect for him. And most people in the area did not think he was qualified to be king at all because he was not a full bred Jewish person. So you might say Herod became king because of a rigged system that they had at that time. And the religious leadership was viewed by many as the only legitimate government. And they were supposed to be helping people understand God's love for them. And uh, they were supposed to be helping people understand what God wanted them to do, but they had become very worldly and very selfish, and they had defined the law in ways that would benefit them personally as religious leaders, but would put a huge burden on the average citizen. And it had also created this huge division between the two primary parties, or uh, the religious groups within the Jewish leadership. And so you might say that the religious leadership was very corrupt and divisive. 
And into this political world, Jesus was born. The old saying seems to be true, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And people were feeling pretty hopeless and discouraged. They wanted change and they needed change. And at different times, leaders might emerge who promised change or who promised hope. But it seemed that these leaders always ended up disappointing. And some people had decided the only way to solve things would be revolution. But the Romans had a way of making sure that revolution was crushed in a very violent and public way. And some, some had just become callous and cynical. They didn't think that they could do anything about it, so they just spent their time joking and complaining about the situation. Like I said, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And perhaps the worst part of this whole situation is it really seemed like God had been silent. It seemed like God had been absent from the situation. I mean, if you look at the chronology of the writings of Scripture and you look at the timelines of God sending prophets to speak to his people, it had been about 600 years since God had spoken to his people through a prophet. God had been silent for about 600 years at this point in time. But even though people felt like God was gone, that he was far away, he still loved his people. He was still ready to step into their mess. In fact, 700 years before the first Christmas, a prophet by the name of Isaiah had told them directly that God was going to step in, that he was going to help them in the midst of their messy politics. Look at the first words from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Now, if you've been in church at Christmas time, I'm guessing you've heard this verse before. It's telling, uh, it's God telling his people through Isaiah about the fact that Jesus would be born, and each phrase is very significant. That first phrase, for to us a child is born, this phrase emphasizes his humanity. When God decided to invade our world, he decided that Jesus would be 100% human. He would get tired. He would get hungry. He would get frustrated. I believe he would have colds and sore throats. And God decided that we needed someone who experienced what we experience and who understood our limitations. The next phrase is also significant to us. A son is given. This emphasizes his divinity. This was not just any baby being born. This was the son of God. 
He was not just 100% human, but he was also 100% God at the same time. He came as God in the flesh to defeat sin and death once and for all. And that last phrase is also significant. And the government will be upon his shoulders. This emphasizes his authority. Though it wasn't very noticeable or apparent the night he was born, this little baby was the ruler of the universe. He was the ruler of the universe. He would be called Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And the passage is clear. The government will be upon his shoulders. What does that mean? What does it mean that the government will be upon his shoulders? It means ultimately, no matter who lives in the White House, no matter who rules the other countries of the earth, Jesus is in control. He is shouldering the burden of government. Throughout history, God has allowed people to rise to power. And it's amazing to look throughout history at the people that God has allowed to rise to government. I mean, some were good and some were godly. Other times, they were downright evil. They were completely corrupt. And in a few cases, if you look at the Old Testament, you'll see some were absolutely insane. They were crazy. And God used those leaders, good and bad, evil and godly, crazy and sane, he used those leaders to draw people towards himself. So whether you love the outcome of our recent election or it has you scared to death, either way, let's remember the government is on his shoulders. Jesus is in charge. But now that's a pretty formal way of looking at this. And just looking at this from that formal aspect leaves out something really important. And it's what I want to spend the majority of this message on. So look at the verse again. This time on the screen, I've added some emphasis. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. Isaiah, in his prophecy, emphasized why Jesus came to earth. It wasn't just to fix our messy politics. It wasn't just to be a religious leader. Jesus didn't come to be a political or military leader as many of his time hoped that he would be. And he sure didn't come to start a religion. He sure didn't come to start a religion that people paid half-hearted allegiance to, especially at Christmas and Easter time. He came for us. It was for us a child was born. It was for us that his son was given. And I think it was for us that the government was to be placed on his shoulders. So I want to make this very personal today. If Jesus came for us and has been given to us, and the government is upon Jesus' shoulders, then that should impact my life. That should change my outlook on things in this life. So in our world where politics has gotten messy, let me share with you a few ways that 
Jesus shouldering the government should help us, should encourage us, or make our life less messy. So first, since the government is on his shoulders, I should let him govern me. I should let him govern me. You see, I can't control whether or not the leaders of our country let Jesus govern them or let his concepts impact how our country is run. I would love to have every elected official see the wisdom in the guidance of God and in Scripture, but I can't control that, and trying to force it or influence it in some way is no different than those of other faiths who want their principles to be used to govern others. Now, don't get me wrong. I can and do vote based on my beliefs, but it doesn't appear that that's causing our leaders to submit to Jesus' leadership. I can't control whether our leaders or the leaders of the world let Jesus govern them, but I can control whether or not he governs me. I can control whether or not he governs me. I can make him the commander-in-chief of my life. In fact, if you are a sincere Christ follower, if you have trusted Jesus to save you and you accepted Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, you've already made that decision. You may have forgotten it, but you've already made that decision. When you gave your heart and life to Jesus, you decided to submit to him as Lord, as the boss, the CEO, the manager of your life. You decided that you would follow him fully, that Jesus would be in charge. And that is such an important thing. And the problem is, many times, we're just not letting him govern our life. We're not letting him govern our life, and we know what he wants us to do. We just don't do it. And can I tell you, that's part of the reason why your life and my life are messy. That's why our life is messy. Jesus' guidelines and principles really are the best way to live. Following Jesus and doing things his way really is what makes me happiest and healthiest. And Isaiah indicates this right after he says that the government will be upon Jesus' shoulders. And the rest of the verse, he gives us some names for Jesus. Look at the first one. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Jesus will be called Wonderful Counselor, and he'll be called that because he's wise. He knows what's best for us. The Bible tells us clearly that Jesus was there when we were created. He wrote the owner's manual for our life, and doing things his way really is the best way. But you know what? I have found you can have the very best counselor in the whole wide world, the wisest counselor in the world, and if you ignore their wise counsel, your life will continue to be a mess. Your life will continue to be a mess. So one of the ways that you can make your own life less messy this Christmas is to let Jesus govern your life. I mean, really decide to do it his way. Stop playing games with God. Stop trying to explain away why you don't have to follow that particular rule and just let him lead 
your life. Later in his life, Jesus said it this way. Calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. I don't know about you, but I am not a good passenger. I would rather be driving than riding. But I'm not in the driver's seat. Jesus is. And letting Jesus drive your life means that you can relax. You can let him take responsibility for it. And if you will allow it, the government of your life will rest on his shoulders, not on yours. And that leads to the next one. Since the government is on his shoulders, I don't have to fix everything. I don't have to fix everything. You know, this is where we get in trouble with politics, or at least I do. I mean, it seems like every presidential election, we hear how this election is the most important election in history. How many times have we heard that? This election is the most important election in history, and people explain how drastic it will be if the party they disagree with gets into office. And they pour on the guilt of how each of us bears the burden of getting it right. And they talk about our responsibility to vote. And then Christian leaders start talking about how pastors shirk their responsibility if they don't try to get their people to vote the right way, even though Jesus completely avoided political discussions of his times and political issues of his time. The guilt is just poured on us pastors. I don't tell you how to vote, never will. And each election, we just feel more and more concerned and, and we begin to feel responsible. We begin to feel the direction of our country rests on us and we have to fix it. Now, can I just give you some relief? The government is not on your shoulders. It's on his shoulders. It's not on your shoulders. It's on Jesus' shoulders. He carries the burden, so you don't have to. And here's the great news. That doesn't just apply to politics. He is strong enough to carry the burdens of your life. He's strong enough to carry the pain of your past and the habits that you're wanting to break and the things outside of your control that you are spending way too much time worrying about. He can and he will shoulder those things. He will take the burden of those things. And the next name that Isaiah lists tells us that he's qualified to do that. Look at what it says. And he will be called Almighty God. He will be called Mighty God. God. He's the mighty God. He is strong when I'm weak. The word mighty here means strength displayed. Jesus is the God of strength displayed. And we love it when we see God's strength displayed in powerful ways, don't we? But the amazing thing is God's strength is not so much displayed in the fact that he is all-powerful, it's often displayed in his restraint of power. I was wrestling a week or so ago with my grandson, Joshua, and um, Joshua was telling me how strong he was. And just so you know, even at 
almost 58 years old, I'm stronger than Joshua. And I could have won that wrestling match. I could have made him cry. But I didn't. And I think I displayed how powerful I was by restraining my power. You know, God does that. God could destroy the evil and injustice of our world in an instant. God could strike dead all of the truly evil people, but he restrains his power. And he restrains his power because if he destroyed all evil, he would destroy me. And he would destroy you. Because at our core, in those secret, quiet times that nobody knows about or we hope nobody ever finds out about, we are all pretty evil. And scripture says all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of God's plan. And he restrains his power because sometimes people who are evil turn from evil and turn towards God and follow him fully and then help spread the good. But make no mistake, Scripture seems to think, say that things will get worse before they get better, but God will not restrain his power forever. He will not. And the verse that we'll read in a minute says that the countries of the earth will fight against God. We're seeing that, aren't we? And Jesus the Lamb, who is called Mighty God, will win. He will fix everything in the end. Look at what Revelation 17 says. They will make war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will defeat them because he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And notice who will be sharing his victory. Here's what it says. He will defeat them with his called, chosen, and faithful followers. So because the government is on his shoulders, I don't need to fix everything. He is strong enough to do that. He will win, and if I'm following him fully, I will win with him. Let's look at another. Since the government is on his shoulders, I can look forward with hope. This comes from the next name that Isaiah lists. It says, and he will be called Everlasting Father. Now, the phrase probably would be better translated into English as father of everlasting or father of eternity rather than everlasting father. Jesus was there at the beginning of creation and he was here on earth and he has gone and is preparing a place for us in heaven where he is with God and where he is speaking to God on our behalf and Jesus never changes. He never changes. The Bible tells us clearly that Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. And the fact that Jesus never changes is a really good thing because we live in such a changing world. It's a good thing in the inconsistent world that we live in. Everything around us is changing so fast, it's hard to keep up with. It's hard to understand. But Jesus is the same. His words are the same. His commands are the same. His expectations don't change. He's consistent. It doesn't matter how much people try to explain away what Jesus has said or update what Jesus taught. 
He's the same. He's the same. And you know something else that doesn't change? His promises don't change. His promises don't change. You know that promise that he made about forgiving us completely? That hasn't changed. And saving us from our sin, that hasn't changed. And taking us to heaven if we've trusted him, that hasn't changed. One of my favorite verses is found in 1 Peter chapter 1. It says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God has great mercy. And because of his mercy, he gave us new life. And this new life brings us a living hope through Jesus Christ's resurrection from death. Because of what Jesus did when he came to earth as a baby and he died for us, I have a new life. I don't have to live in the old shame. I don't have to live in my past problems because I have a new life. And because Jesus didn't stay dead, because he resurrected from the dead and walked out of the tomb alive again, I have hope. But not just any hope, not just a, gee, I wish that would happen or hope that will happen someday. But I have a living hope. Because Jesus is alive. My hope is alive. And so no no matter how bad things get here, if you've trusted Jesus to save you, if you've trusted him to forgive you, you can look forward with hope, with real assurance, hope that doesn't rest in politics or in religious rituals, but hope that this verse goes on to say is kept in heaven for us, protected by Jesus, hope that will never end, hope that is in Jesus who is the father of everlasting, the father of all eternity. Let's look at one more that's similar. Since the government is on his shoulders, no matter what happens, I can rest. I can rest. See, it doesn't matter who, uh, whether I like who's in the White House or don't like them. I don't need to worry about it because I can find rest and peace in Jesus. It's there in the last name that Isaiah um, gives to this child who was born for us and the son who would be given to us. He said, and he will be called Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. I know when everything seems to be moving so quickly away from the principles of Jesus, when everything seems to be moving so quickly towards conflict, it might be hard to understand how it's possible to have peace, how it's possible to rest. But again, we aren't talking primarily about our country. We're talking about our personal life. And I know when your life is a mess, it's hard to feel peace. And you might be saying, Pastor, if you knew the state of my finances right now, if you knew how close I am to losing my job, there is no way that you could say that you could rest or have peace. If you knew how bad my marriage is, if you knew how dangerous the situation that my kids have put themselves in is, you would understand why I just don't feel like I can rest. And some of you might be thinking, if you knew how far I feel from God, if you knew about the sin that I'm working so hard to hide from everybody else, you would know why I don't find myself resting. I want you to know I I felt some of those things too. I understand those things. I felt those things at different times in my life. 
and it just seems overwhelming. But let me try to give you some reasons why I've discovered that I can rest. I can rest because through Jesus, I have, first of all, peace with God. I have peace with God. Look at this passage from Romans chapter 5. It says, we have been made right with God because of our faith. So we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus, I don't have to feel the guilt of my sin anymore. Jesus made me right with God. And so I can trust that Jesus has forgiven me of my sin. I can trust that I'm right with God. And even when I fail, even when I fall, even when I sin again, I can trust that the blood of Jesus covers my sin. I have peace with God. God isn't out to harm me. God isn't out to hurt me. God isn't out to punish me because Jesus paid my price. And now I belong to God and I have peace with God. I'm one of his children. But I also have the peace of God. The peace of God. Even though I know I'm saved and that I have peace with God, Honestly, sometimes I just don't feel very peaceful. I just don't feel very peaceful, and I worry too much, and I see the battles raging around me, and it's at those times that I need to focus again on Jesus. I need to ask Jesus to help me to experience again the peace of God. Look at what the Apostle Paul says while he's sitting in prison in Philippians chapter 4, he says, And because you belong to Christ Jesus, God's peace will stand guard over all your thoughts and feelings. His peace can do this far better than our human minds. Isn't that a great concept? If I will let it, God's peace will stand guard over my thoughts and my feelings. You know why that's important? Because my thoughts and my feelings cannot be trusted. And neither can yours. Your thoughts and your feelings quite often are lies that you've learned from your past or deceptions from Satan. And you cannot trust your thoughts and your feelings. And if I will let it, the peace of God will stand guard over my thoughts and my feelings. And I can't explain it. And I don't understand it. But when I focus on letting God shoulder the responsibility when I let him and focus on him shouldering the responsibility for our world or I let him shoulder the responsibility for our church or for my kids or for my life, even when the circumstances I'm concerned about haven't changed, I begin to experience this peace. Things haven't changed, but I've changed. And I feel his peace. So what have we said? Since the government is on Jesus' shoulders, first of all, I should let him govern me, my life. Secondly, I don't have to fix everything. Third, I can look forward with hope. And no matter what happens, I can rest. I can rest. But you know, if we stop there, we miss out on some encouragement of Christmas that is really important. Let's read that whole verse six that we've kind of broken up into parts. Let me read it and let me add verse seven to it. For to us, 
a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. After announcing the fact that God will show up in our world and that a child will be born to us, that his son will be given to us, and that the government will be on his shoulders, then describing him with these beautiful names, the passage goes on to tell us something else that will happen, something else that we can count on. It says that he will establish and uphold justice and righteousness. Isn't that what we're craving in our world? The right things to happen, good things to happen, righteousness and justice. And he sees the lack of justice in our world. He sees the evil around us, and he's concerned about that. He's concerned about those who are outcast. He's concerned about those who are downtrodden. He's concerned about those people who are overlooked by others in our society and by the government. And he's going to do something about it. He's going to do something about it. He will establish and uphold justice and righteousness forever. You know, I'm not sure this great government of justice and righteousness will happen until we get to heaven, but I do know it will happen. He promises that it will. You see, he came to earth to be our king. And at Christmas, as Dale said, we normally remember a baby. But I also remember that he's promised to come back again. And that when he comes back, he's going to come back in power. And every Christmas, I get excited again about the fact that Jesus is coming again. And then he will rule and he will reign. And all the problems and pains of this life will be gone forever. All corruption and all greed will be gone forever. All evil will be overcome once and for all. All suffering and illness will be done away with once and for all. And those of us who have let him govern our life will bow down and will worship him as the leader of our life because we've let him govern our life. But don't miss it, all of these benefits start when I let him govern my life. As long as you fight against him governing your life, your life's going to be messy. So if you're here, whether you've been a Christian for years or you're just hearing about this Jesus stuff, you might want to go to the piano after the service. There'll be some people there with yellow lanyards, our first step team. And they're there to talk with you, to pray with you, to help you. And maybe today is just a day to say, would you just pray that I can give up governing my own life and let Jesus bear that burden? Would you do that today? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, forgive us for the times when we have thought that on our own somehow we could control our own life. 
Forgive us, Father, for the times when we have tried to uh, think that we know better. And Father, thank you so much that it was for us that Jesus was born. Thank you that Jesus came into our messy world to help us in the midst of our mess. Father, would you help each one of us today to let Jesus govern our lives as we seek to follow you fully. In Jesus' name, amen.